a little surf from the Mullet Monster Mafia. It's from their album Power Surf Orchestra. The name of the song is Swamp. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with the band's permission. You can find them at the mulletmonstermafia.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook. Tell them that Monster Kid Radio said hi. Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. If you're a newcomer to the show, thank you for checking us out. If you're an old timer, welcome back. Glad to have you here. This time around, we are being joined by returning guest to Monster Kid Radio, a guy by the name of Alan Trump. I met Alan at last year's HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con, where he gave a presentation about uh, Lovecraft, the drive-in movie posters from movies that have a Lovecraft or Lovecraftian influence. It's a really cool presentation. And then I interviewed him and had him on the show here back in episode 91, last April. So it's been almost a year since I've actually had him on the show proper. He's called in and contributed a few times since then, but it was really good to sit down with him and Skype it up about Larry Buchanan, filmmaker that we monster kids know as a guy who remade a number of American International Pictures films for AIP-TV. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Larry Buchanan overall in this episode. And in the next episode, then we're going to dive into one of Buchanan's films, Zontar, The Thing from Venus, starring my man, John Agar. Yeah, that stinger right there, you're going to hear that a few times over the next couple of episodes. That is a stinger from John Agar Rules from the band The Dead Elvi. I can't think of John Agar without hearing that song. Anyway, why don't we go ahead and get into this episode about all things Larry Buchanan's, a little bit about Zontar, the thing from Venus, and who knows what else is going to come up. We'll dive into that right after this. From writings less than a hundred eyes have seen comes the experience of the she-creatures. <laughs> Brought to screen life by Chester Morris, Marla English, Kathy Downs, Lance Fuller, Tom Conway, Frida Innescourt, and Ron Randall. It's an adventure into the occult such as few people have known and only those who see it can believe. You're not going for that supernatural hokum of his. I don't really know what I'm going for. I know he's a killer. Now you are traveling back through time and space. Farther. Farther back. Back. Under his spell, she was both herself and another being. The she-creature seeking life sustenance from the stolen heartbeats of others. She was a woman born to be loved, and two men wanted her. One a man whose powerful mad mind controlled her every reflex, except her love. No! The other, willing to fight any odds for her love. You've been living in shadows. I want to bring you back to life. Society dances to hide the hysterical terror caused by their sudden intimacy with death. Forever closer comes the she-creature. Do you 
you'll enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. What's everybody running? It's the end of everything. What do you mean? I'm not arguing theory, General. I'm here to ask you, to beg you, to save your own world. It, it, the most fascinating mastermind man can conceive. A monster that can control all sources of the Earth's power. Able to pull man-made spaceships from their orbits. Making of those it chooses slaves. Of this woman, a willing handmaiden. Of the chief of police, a cold-blooded killer. Well, I've known you for five years. You just killed a man in cold blood. Why? I'll have to place you under protective custody. Peter Graves, the scientist who fought it. Beverly Garland, who believed her love stronger than it. Lee Van Cleef, whose brilliant mind was captured by it. Ready to stop loving me? I'll need you even when no emotion exists. For a few dollars, you can you can hire a woman who'll fit all your fetishes. She'll match your requirements perfectly. Then, if you ever get tired of it, you can always run down to the employment agency for another. You'll know terror to freeze your blood. You'll feel the heart-stopping strength of the most fearful monster ever known. You think you're gonna make a slave of something new or specifically we're restarting something here at monster kid radio at the end of april we're going to be putting out our first monthly e-newsletter called the monster rally checkpoint this is going to be a monthly email that brings you content from monster kid radio and monster rally media stuff that i don't talk about here on the podcast material that's being written specifically for this newsletter in addition to this content you're also going to be receiving information about upcoming episodes of monster kid radio what songs are being added to the live 365 internet radio station we'll look back at some of the facebook group polls that we've had that sort of thing as well as a special feature that i'm calling the creature connection so that's available in the newsletter how do you get the newsletter 
well, head over to monsterkidradio.net. Over on the right, there's a place for you to put in your email address. Do that, and you're set. You're in. If you don't go to monsterkidradio.net, though, you can look up the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page. Not the group, but on the page itself, there's also a place for you to subscribe to the Monster Alley Checkpoint e-newsletter. That's facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. You know where it says timeline, about, photos, and so on. Click on more, and one of the drop-down menu options says email newsletter. There you go. That's where you do it. That's where you sign up for the Monster Rally Checkpoint. Your email address will only ever be used for future issues of the Monster Rally Checkpoint. So if you want to get this for free, sign up now. This is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, The Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio listeners, I haven't had him on the show in quite some time. The last time you heard him uh, in person when we did an interview with him was at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon last year. He's called in a couple of times since then, Alan Trump. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio proper. Thanks very much, Derek. Great to be here out here again. It's been a while since we've had you. And, you know, I've been looking forward to getting you on the show so I can publicly thank and or shame you. Because our conversation at the Lovecraft Film Festival led to me looking up Mexican movie posters and Mexican lobby cards on eBay. Oh, boy. That could be dangerous. Yeah, yeah it's my new addiction. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I, I try not to be an enabler, you know, but, you know, every now and then... There are some good bargains out there. You know, there's, like you said, there's the Italian posters that are these huge, sometimes two-piece things that are like 60 by 80. The Mexican lobby cards, it's interesting to see what they do with American films, like even the American International stuff. Yeah. You know, they put this bizarre art on it and things, and hopefully there's something for every budget. But yeah, that sure definitely can tap into your wallet and take away any uh, discretionary income. I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, it's all right, man. I love it. I, I've got some posters up on my wall now and others that are waiting to be framed. And I just love the artwork in some of these. I've got a Nothing But the Night movie poster with Peter Cushing ah. and Christopher Lee, which is amazing. Uh, I have a Spanish Inframan poster. Uh, this stuff. Oh, is that's just, great. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. So thank you from me. How dare you from my wallet and my checking account. But thank you from me. <laughs> I'll take what compliments there are there to be had, and, and I'll <laughs> suffer with the rest. Okay. Uh, no, it's all right. It's a good addiction. There are worse vices I suppose I could have. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Alan, how has it been going for you? How have things been going since I last saw you? Things are going well. Um, yes. uh, I've got a little bit of health issues now. I've got uh, going through some chemotherapy issues to deal with, but uh, diagnosis is really good. I'm yes. responding well to the treatment, so hopefully within – you know, another six months, you know, uh, the hair will grow back and everything will be out and, and be back in business again, full speed. Right on. I didn't know if you wanted to mention that or not. But, yes, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm sure our listeners are gr- thrilled to hear that as well. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, our monster kids got to stick together and pull for each other, you know? I know. Actually, I, one thing I put in, in uh, uh, one of my Facebook posts is just for my benefit, I'm trying to pull together a uh, – Horror movies have always gotten me through difficult times, along, of course, with and this with family and and friends and support. But uh, thinking of doing a little chaos magic ritual, strictly in fun, not real, in which I'll have a little ceremony in which I shout out various magical phrases from old horror movies, like the Zuzama ritual from. Uh, 
the devil rides out and the hoary hosts of Hogoth from uh, Doctor Strange oh, yeah. comic books, and include include things like that along with. And I put some stuff up on the Monster Kit Radio uh, communal page about asking for like antidotes and things like that that people had for illnesses that showed up in horror movies. And I got all sorts of good contributions, like was it Digenerol and Solaronite and things like that. So thanks to you and thanks for your uh, readers as well. Definitely, I saw that too, and I'm glad to hear things are looking good. Especially since, well, now that sounds terrible, but since things are looking good, we're going to have you on the show to talk about Larry Buchanan. Maybe that's, that's right. not good. Maybe that's not good. I don't that's know. right. A, <laughs> a pivotal figure in my uh, adolescent TV viewing, I guess you'd say. Would you give that man that much credit? I mean, he's kind of known for the lower budget, schlocky remake type stuff. Yeah, I I would say Larry's stuff does not hold a candle to the original that he adapted for American International Pictures. Of course, and for this current generation, I, I'm not sure how many people are really familiar with Larry Buchanan, but, but the movie, of course, we're going to be discussing here on the show is Zontar, The Thing from Venus, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the first of the remakes he did. And is it as good as Roger Corman's original uh, It Conquered the World that was based on? No. But it does have its own style, and, and it uh, again... Keeping in mind that with Laird Buchanan, what happened was he was raised in a Dallas orphanage. He got fascinated with movies. I think he, uh, you know, he used to show movies there. He thought about being a minister. He visited Hollywood, got a job in the props department at 20th Century Fox. He enlisted in the Army Signal Corps to learn how to direct. He got acquainted with, if you can believe it or not, uh, he was involved with Douglas Aircraft as a, uh, I think a. Equ- aircraft equipment parts inspector, and while he was there, he met H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, correspondent Fritz Lieber, who was also working as an inspector. Oh, really? Yeah. I, now, this comes from his autobiography called It Came From Hunger, Tales of a Cinema Schlockmeister, so, <laughs> and that was from McFarland. I don't know if that book is still in print, but he talks about it. And he didn't deal too much with uh, Lieber's Lovecraft stuff, but he was very familiar with him talking about his uh, sword and sorcery for heroes, Stafford and the Grey Mouser, and mm. his science fiction concept like the change wolf and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny who bumps into each other. Larry was doing this work, and he got involved. I think he did like some religious films for, I think it was Oral Roberts. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, and, but he really got involved with doing things. He was, he knew Stanley Kubrick in New York, and Kubrick wanted to be the cinematographer, but had a bigger salary in mind than uh, uh, Buchanan wanted to pay. He did a one-reel film called The Cowboy. His first feature was a movie called Grubstake. I think in one of, that might have had Jack Klugman in it. So he had some very interesting connections early in his career. And really then he started rolling with some of these. He got involved with these uh, films like kind of exploitation titles like High Yellow, Free White 21. In the picture... Free, white, and 21. You, the audience, will be the jury. You will render a verdict of guilty or not guilty in the case of The People versus Ernie Jones. Greta Mae Hansen is free, white, and 21. She is the state's main witness against Ernie Jones. You will hear and see the full and intimate details upon which Greta May bases her accusation of criminal assault. If Greta May consented to the relationship, 
then Ernie Jones is not guilty. If, however, though she is free, white, and 21, she did not consent, Ernie Jones is guilty of criminal assault, and your verdict should be guilty. Due to the strictly adult and shocking nature of the subject matter, scenes from the motion picture were purposely omitted, as there are probably minors in the audience. Free, White, and 21 is a motion picture for adults only. Which, in some cases, had to do with juvenile delinquents, relationship between the races, hot-button topics at the time. And he made a film called The Naked Witch for about $8,000. And I think he really liked this film. I've watched it. Are you ready to meet The Naked Witch? Master of Black Arts. Spawn of the Devil. No one is safe when the Naked Witch walks a trail of bloody vengeance. Are you ready to meet the Naked Witch? It's the story of this girl accused of witchcraft in this little German town in Texas. And it has like a lot of local color things in it. And uh, she runs around mostly in a black body stocking, which is something nice for, you know, the, you know, the audience to enjoy. <laughs> and it, I don't know if this is true or not, but boy, it has certain similarities to Black Sunday. Because when this student hears about the legend and finds the witch's grave and reanimates her by pulling a stake out of her heart, she's wearing a mask at the, you know, when she's in the ground, rather like Yavudo is, Barbara Steele's assistant. And mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if that was influenced or, or what, but that's there. And it is a very interesting film to watch, and it's, it shows what he is doing on his own. And we can talk about later things he did, but because he was making these movies, and and, uh, some were distributed by AIP, Mm -hmm. so they were pulling in some big box office return. And when he did that, he attracted attention. One of them was, I think he made a docudrama. He was very fond of this, and especially in later life, he was really fond of conspiracy theories. But he made a film called The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. And according to Wikipedia, presented an alternate history in which John F. Kennedy and Lee Harvey Oswald survived Kennedy's assassination. And I think that made them some money, too. And because these films were pulling in some dough, Sam Arkoff and these guys said, hey, you know, at this time, the UHF and the television programs were looking, they were starving for product to put on TV. So... Then you've got AIP selling their old monster movies, plus they needed more stuff to fill out syndication packages. Sure. They asked Larry Buchanan to come in. They said, okay, we're gonna, we would like you to do remakes of some of these movies, like uh, It Conquered the World, or The She-Creature, The Day the World Ended, and things like that. So here's the big thing. We need to make each of them for about $30,000. Oof. I mean, this is, you know, he, was, he was getting paid less money than Roger Corman, plus he had to sacrifice just about half of the payment to they needed to have a named celebrity in every one so they would get someone like John Agar or uh, Yvonne Craig or um, Kirk to be in these films and it ate up half the paycheck so his job was get them to us make them cheap we want them in color we want them 80 minutes so they're longer than the originals even if you read in Buchanan's books and I'm, I'm going on too long about this I don't think he was very proud of these films uh, because they were just, let's get them done. He managed to put his own embellishments on them when he can. 
at times he you know he's working in mostly with like you said a theatrical troupe of people around the Texas based area sometimes they're very good sometimes they're manos quality you know so I, <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing but <laughs> But for me, he did these, okay, I've got an assignment. I've got to finish these things. I don't think these movies were really his love, but he really, he was joking about it. And in some interviews he gave, didn't give too many, he seemed to uh, appreciate them. But his real love were things like, good heavens, these, like I said, these documentaries that he did. Goodbye, Norma Jean. He did a pseudo-Bergman movie called Strawberries Need Rain which sounds like a pretty good film. I assume that title is a takeoff on, on Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, in which Death shows up one day carrying a scythe and says, it's your time, dear, and she manages to make a, a deal with him to go out and experience love for the first time. And according to his book, he actually played this in a student theater with Ingmar Bergman's name on it, supposedly as an experiment, and everybody came out saying they loved it. So, <laughs> So it's, well, just an experiment, and then they, you know. Okay. So, so he was a very versatile guy. He did kind of, he did a movie called Venus and Furs. He did a movie called it's something like Sex Lives of the Animals or something, you know. I, uh, just, um, <laughs> Sounds like he was kind of all over the place. Yeah, he's yeah he was, but you know, but he made you know he's the sort of person who made money, and uh, you know, I think he really loved what he did. He genuinely loved film. The easiest, easiest thing in the world to do is look at the movies that he made, the remakes from the AIP stuff, and poke fun of them. And I will do that, and you will do that too, because it's easy and it's hilarious. And Mm -hmm. for the tiny, tiny amount of money he was working with and on schedules, he delivered some interesting things. And for me, catching these things in the late 60s, early 70s on UHF TV, they look like something from another planet. Why is the color all washed out in this thing? Why isn't the sound always connected up? Why is the acting so odd at times, even to a 13-year-old? It, it's like your first experience if you see Mexican horror movies or Chinese horror films or, or anything like that. Just a different perspective. You know, what? That even today, I have to confess that I'm really looking in through the rose-colored glasses of youth and nostalgia, just like everybody does. But um, uh, I think there's stuff, there's merit there for people to view even today and enjoy. You know, I'd agree with you there. There are some issues, you know, and, and we'll talk about that as we talk a little bit more about the movie we're talking about this time around. The first one that I saw of his films, when I actually started paying attention to who did these movies, that sort of thing, was It's Alive with Tommy Kirk. Oh, man. Yeah. You've got a brutal introduction to I it. I know, right? <laughs> that film, that movie is really tough to get through because of its 15-minute segment in which a woman tries to escape from her kidnapper that has almost no sound and just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. That, that's a tough one to get through, especially if you're watching it starting at 1030 at night like I did. Oh, ouch. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. You know, that said, though, I did find myself kind of falling in love with the aesthetic or lack of aesthetics, I suppose. I've I've told this story numerous times. I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies growing up, that sort of thing. My parents were very strict in Mm -hmm. terms of what I was able to view. And going to the video store more often than not meant renting a Disney flick. And I grew up watching a lot of the live-action Disney movies from the 50s and 60s on video. So I was very familiar with Tommy Kirk growing up. You bet. Seeing, I guess, kind of a down-on-his-luck kind of version of Tommy Kirk and It's Alive was really an odd... (laughs) <laughs> film going or film watching yeah. experience for me. That's one thing that, uh, in one of the articles is one of the key components in these Buchanan films is you get someone who's kind of at the 
tail end of their career or fading or something. But still, interesting performances, and it's great to see them. I mean, who would think, again, you'd see Batgirl, Yvonne Craig, and Mars Needs Women. Colonel, the message is, Mars Needs Women. These were the words that startled the world. This was the reason for an invasion that shocked the Earth. Martians, beings from outer space, with one prime objective. Women, Earth women, to help repopulate their dying planet, to bring new blood to an ancient civilization. Beauty and the beasts, only the beasts were men, Martian men, every woman checked and double checked, only the most perfect, the most beautiful. Is Earth to be ravished because Mars needs women? I mean, this isn't anything new. This is what Hammer used to do. They'd bring in an aging American star for one of their films, and they'd get them pretty cheap. So, you know, it works. Why not get somebody who they can afford, who used to have a pretty big box office draw? Bring them in. Bring in a Tommy Kirk. Bring in a John Agar or an Yvonne Craig. Why not? Gives it a little bit of legitimacy, I feel like. I think so. You know, and especially for the Hammer stuff, then you've sure. got an international audience built in, too, if you exactly. can be American. You know, so I saw It's Alive, I saw, and I believe I talked about Curse of the Swamp Creature with the B-Movie cast a few years ago. <laughs> and, I mean, these movies, they're just... That one's a personal look. favorite of mine. Oh, I, My I love it. My wife loathes every minute of it. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah loathes it. Especially because of all the bongo music in it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that. I'm a film I do, too. I love the film. I love you the don't know what you're talking about. I know, right? Well, I won't even ask my wife to watch these movies. I know about it. Oh. <laughs> But now there's this weird otherworldly quality, like you said, the color. And I, I wonder about the color that if when they first aired, if maybe the color was better than what we're getting now, because I can't imagine a lot of money has been spent preserving these movies. But no, no. It's a little washed out and the sounds a little off and sounds like obvious voiceover. If you look at um, Buchanan's book, It Came From Hunger, he's got an extensive section in the back where he – he kind of cheats a little bit, and he puts some definitions of various film terms he used. And one thing he refers to is there, there's something called the ends. You don't have a whole reel of film, but you have beginnings uh, and ends of films, and you can get those cheaper that are in the cans or something. I think he used a lot of that sort of thing, cheaper film stock. So, so no. maybe that leads <laughs> to the quality of, of what's going on here. Sure. No, I, mean, I think that's probably pretty obvious <laughs> if you know what yeah. I'm talking yeah. yeah, and you know what? Do what you got to do to make your money, make your movie, bringing it on budget. It sounds like maybe he wasn't a monster movie guy. He wasn't really into the low-budget horror movies. But it sounds like you said he loved films. So while he may not have liked the movies he was making, he loved making them nonetheless. I think that's it right there. Yeah. And and like even like with Ed Wood, at times a particular vision shines through. You know, I mean. Manos, whatever you want to say about it, whatever it's bad, you know, these people had a specific vision, mm -hmm. a lot like Manos. You know, Larry Buchanan was working, I think it was, was it El Paso that had, that um, Al Warren, I think? Right, you know, right, down in Texas. You no, know, he mm -hmm. was the one who, you know, he recruited these people from like dinner theaters and stuff sure. and made this film. That's why I don't really have a problem with uh, watching low budget film because you can see a lot of these times 
there's a, a great ideas present in these things, no matter, sadly, at times how poorly they're executed. I like the regionalism of a lot of these lower-budget movies. You don't see that a lot to, as much today, or maybe I'm just not looking as closely. But when you watch something like Manos, yeah, it's clearly you know small Texas town. When you watch like the Larry Buchanan films or like Don Dollar movies or you know any of these films out there, they're, they're regional filmmakers. So you get to kind of see a different time and place specific to them. And it's, it's interesting to me, and this is where I start going down my cinematic archaeological hole, where you get to kind of mm-hmm. see people and places and dress and mannerisms and the culture and society in different eras that just don't exist anymore. And it's yep. fascinating to watch that. For, on that level alone, I would recommend checking out some Larry Buchanan films. Yep, there, there is so much of that thing that you bring up. And I'm sure there's a lot of that in the original 1950s uh, Roger Corman sure. and, and, and Con versions. But I was thinking that exact same thing as I was watching uh, rewatch Zontar last night. With the Buchanan films, you have all this Texas stuff, Houston, Texas, and you have, you have these caverns that he films in, which I, I think sometimes were in Arkansas, other places, Zantar has these caverns, and like you said, you have this old technology that shows up in mm-hmm. them—the old magnetic tape, yes, <laughs> computers, and I don't even know rheostats, diodes. You know that all this, all this ancient stuff. They talk about something called a Twix, which I assume is like a forerunner of a fax huh. that turns up a couple things. You know, for getting messages across. Again, the the, the hairstyles, the attitudes, yes. the speech patterns. The dress. Fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's one of the reasons why I've been finding myself enjoying older film and classic film so much more is because you get you get more than just a story. You get kind of a snapshot uh, yep. of a time and a place that doesn't exist anymore. And I, I just don't get that same thrill when I watch a, a modern movie these days. So well, and it doesn't have that quite that veneer of the Hollywood sheen. Exactly. It is a little bit closer to reality, mm-hmm. which, which some, for some people it's good. Now, there was an excellent fanzine that was put out called Zontar the Magazine from Venus. Several issues and came out of Boston. Oh, wow. And was edited by, oh boy, let's see, Brian Curran, Jan Johnson, Chris Magson. And I do have one copy of this, of one of these, which was the special Larry Buchanan. I think, uh, there's an interview, I think, with Buchanan by Ivan Stang of the Church of the Subgenius. Oh, and there's also just a very simple, they, they go into it, they kind of play with it a little bit. They talk about how their Buchanan films are really all you really need in life. <laughs> but they work in a lot of philosophy. You know, some of it is intentional, some of it is pure fun. But one thing that they point out is, if you go to a regular Hollywood movie, most people go to that for escapism. Right. But if you see a, a Larry Buchanan film, sometimes the world in this movie you're watching can be at times so dull and plodding and boring, you want to see the real world becomes more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you, you know, Larry, some of us think, again, all to save money, he's doing things like lots of sections without uh, dialogue, lots of walking around in the woods, lots of driving cars, yeah. lots of just working with objects and things, yeah. threading projectors, working with telephones, looking at pieces of equipment like in Mars Needs Women when you, the camera stays on a loudspeaker for about two minutes at a time, <laughs> extended periods in which you've got a shot with people all in shot and there's no camera movement. <laughs> yes. After, after a while, the, the edges begin to blur and especially if you are watching something like this at 3 a.m., 
you know, I, I don't know, maybe this is what you need instead of transcendental meditation or, <laughs> or something to experience oneness with, with God or, or experience karma or nirvana. Well, I, I would take Yvonne Craig and Marcy's women over that. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's just my take. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like the films are definitely a study in various film techniques because he puts them all on display and makes sure you have time to ingest them. This is what a still shot looks like. This is what a close-up looks You know, it's very, these are all the different things that you can do with film, and he's going to do them and yep. and make sure you get it because the shots, like you said, sometimes will go on for minutes and minutes and minutes. For, and there's no sound. There's nothing going on. It's just this long sequence. But again, he loved film, and I think he wouldn't do that unless he... I don't know. It's a stretch. I haven't read the book. So. Well, no, and he, well, he does try. He doesn't just take sure. the blueprint and say, okay, I've got the script. Here we go. There are alterations made. He tries to He gets some interesting camera angles once in a while. My absolute favorite, I think, uh, Larry Buchanan's cinematic technique. I don't know if you really talk about cinematography and things like that in these, again, because <laughs> they were so rushed and I can only light them in, in this way and, uh -huh. you know, at a hurry, but my favorite thing is in almost every one of his movies, he does for a couple seconds an extreme close-up of the monster space. Yes. And no matter how crappy his monsters are, he couldn't afford. Well, Carmen really couldn't afford Paul Blaisdell, but Blaisdell did amazing work. Yes, he did. But you know, you've got this close-up of this uh, of, of Zontar or the swamp creature, and even if it's the cheesiest-looking monsters, and sometimes they were. I think Zontar is great. But even if they were a terrible monster, for a few seconds, they said, oh, what is that thing? Yeah. It's, it's just disconcerting enough to, to kind of get that shock. Oh, I agree. I agree. And Paul Blaise Hill does amazing work. But, you know, the Zontar, you know, the monster in Zontar looks pretty cool for what it is. The guy who did a lot of the work with Larry Buchanan on his makeup and things like that was a fellow called, oh, boy, if I can... If I can find it here. Was it Jack Bennett? Yes, thank you so much. Sontar is like a, it's a hideous looking thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now I, I guess if you really, if you really analyze him, he'd be kind of cheaply constructed and stuff like that. How does he compare with Paul Blaisdell's original Beulah monster, the cucumber creature from Venus who was built to, to have low gravity? Mm -hmm. You know, has the huge arms sticking out in the, and the fangs and, and the little kind of skirt of tentacles down at the bottom. Beulah's probably a lot more interesting, more fun, scary, but also kind of humorous. Mm -hmm. But Zontar, you know, well, he doesn't move around too much. He's got three eyes. He's this sort of black skeletal thing. If you look at his face when they get into the lights, and this is good. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't show Zontar too much until the very end of the film, which I'm, I'm grateful for. And, but his, <laughs> Zontar's flesh is all kind of burned and boiled, looked like it has pustules on it and stuff. Yeah. And his huge bat wings. He's very vampire like. He has little these little injectopod creatures that grow off of his wings that he sends out to fly to bite into the necks of his victims so that they'll be controlled under his hive mind. It's a different look, uh, you know, Beulah, the it conquered the world beast. I think it's iconic. You know, and, and partly because they put it on the movie poster and you couldn't help but mm -hmm. know what it is. So it was Zontar, they do kind of hide it a little bit more. I, I do think in terms of realism, if we're going to add any kind of realism to these kinds of movies, the low gravity thing probably makes a little bit more sense. But mm -hmm. the Zontar creature, the monster, the alien, it's it's hideous. Yeah. It's, it's 
flat out scary for what it is. You don't see it very much until the end, like you said. And I think by holding back like that, it adds even more to the creepy factor, which, which I love. I think it really does. And I don't know why he did this. That's, to me, kind of a, a huge mistake. Or, or I don't know. Is it a mistake? But if you've ever seen, have you ever seen Creatures of Destruction? Yes. Okay. It, it, the monster in that, this version, of course, of the she-creature, probably Buchanan's most famous monster, which kind of looks like Kermit the Frog with an overbite and ping-pong <laughs> yeah. ball eyes. Yeah. And a guy in a wetsuit, sort of a very, very, very poor man's creature from the Black League. But that monster shows up within the few, first few seconds of the movie. Yeah. And in seeing that, I'm thinking, even as a kid, I'm thinking, all right, this is one of those movies like um, Beach Girls and the Monster, where <laughs> yeah. guy dresses up as a monster, because no self-respecting filmmaker would present this as an actual monster. <laughs> right? Sure. That's what I'm thinking. And then I get into the movie, oh, they weren't kidding. Okay, well, I'll deal with this as the best I can. Like I said, I met Alan in person last year at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon. Coming up here in a couple of weeks in Portland is CthulhuCon. It's a branch off of the HP Lovecraft and CthulhuCon event. They're doing CthulhuCon in April, and the film festival itself will happen in October. This is April 25th and 26th at the Crown Plaza Hotel here in Portland, Oregon, go over to CthulhuCon.com, and if you need help spelling Cthulhu, and you probably don't, but just in case, C-T-H-U-L-H-U, and C-O-N.com, go check it out. Now, they have not announced all the panels yet, but I will tell you this. I was invited to fill out the panelist survey, and one of my panel suggestions was on that survey, so... Yeah, there's a good chance I'm going to be a panelist there. Although it's not been announced yet. It's not been confirmed. Anyway, head over to CthulhuCon.com for more information about that. Alan's not going to be there in person, but I'm sure he'll be there in spirit with me and all of us other lurkers and fans of all things Lovecraft. Speaking of events that are coming up, I wanted to announce the next Monster Kid Radio crash. So a crash is when the Monster Kid Radio listeners descend on a movie theater or event in which a classic monster movie is being shown. And again, I have to thank the gods, Zillas, and the old ones, and whatever else is out there. I live in Portland, and Portland is thick with movie theaters, and they bring in some awesome movies sometimes. And the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry... OMSI here in Portland. You know what they're doing this week? Sci-Fi Film Festival. Now, OMSI has a huge movie screen that they use in one of their theaters. They call it the Empirical Theater. And the Sci-Fi Film Fest is running, well, by the time you guys and gals hear this, it started yesterday, April 13th. It's running through April 19th. Now, they're showing some modern films, or modern-ish, although I feel kind of old when I realize how old Galaxy Quest is. But they're showing movies like Galaxy Quest, Serenity. But as far as Monster Kid Radio is concerned, there are some real classics being shown as well. Like Forbidden Planet, that's being shown. That's part of the lineup. That's not what the crash is, though. Not because I don't want to see it on the big screen, but just because I can't make it work with my schedule. What is showing that I can make work with my schedule? 1968's The Planet of the Apes. So it's showing twice this upcoming week, and the Monster Kid Radio crash is happening on Saturday, April 18th at 3.45 p.m. at OMSI in Portland, Oregon. OMSI is at 1945 Southeast Water Avenue in Portland. 
They do have public transportation running nearby, if not right up to the building. And tickets for the show are $7 for adults, $6 for youth and seniors. I'm excited for this. Uh, there is a couple of reasons why I'm excited for this, but I think the biggest one is, you know what? I'm going to admit it. I've never seen Planet of the Apes. I, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Don't turn off your iPod. I know it's a classic, and I know it's one of the big ones, and I know it's one of the big sci-fi franchises. Before Star Wars redefined what a sci-fi franchise is, I know Planet of the Apes was the big one, was the thing, especially for people growing up in that era. Now, it came out a little before I was born, but, I mean, it's still there, and I probably watched the first 15, 20 minutes of it while I was working at a blockbuster video one day. They put it in the VCR and started watching it, then I went on break, and... As was typical when I worked at Blockbuster and I picked what movie got to be played in the in-store monitors, as soon as I went on break, they'd stop it and put in something else that they wanted. Usually it was Dirty Dancing or Grease. <sighs> anyway, Planet of the Apes, this Saturday, April 18th, 3.45 p.m., OMSI, the Empirical Theater. Head over to OMSI, that's O-M-S-I dot E-D-U for more information. Or if you are a Facebook user, there's a Facebook event set up for this crash. So go check that out. Hopefully you'll be there. If you're able to make the crash, I would love to meet you. I'm hard to miss. I'm the big guy wearing the Monster Kid radio shirt. I'll also have my portable recorder with me, and if anybody shows up, well, we'll record a little bit. If you're up for it, if you'd like to be on the show, I'd love to meet you or see you again at the crash. Discover Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles. And the superior beings are apes. custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Then a kind of living death. does bring us near the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Before we sign off, I want to let you know about MonsterKidRadio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. Between episodes, there are links to everything that we've got going on, either in the show notes for episode-specific information or 
We also have the menu bar across the top of the screen where you can find buttons that'll take you to the songs page, which is a list of every song that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio, the name of the band, and where you can find them online and maybe even buy their music. We have links to our Amazon store, our live 365 internet radio station. This is where you're going to be able to listen to music and sounds from classic and not-so-classic monster movies. I listen to this when I run out of stuff to listen to on my iPod. A lot of fun for me to listen to and put together, and I hope you guys and gals dig it if you check it out. Live 365 is free, so go over there, look at Monster Kid Radio, or just follow the link in the show notes. We have a link to our Patreon page, where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio, and then, of course, a link to our Facebook group, where you can join the group and get involved with conversations with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes, or even while you're listening to one right now. We also have our contact information available here. Our email address, it's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. It's 503-4795-MKR. If you have any comments about anything that we've talked about here on this episode of Monster Kid Radio or the previous 192, wow, we've been going that long. Anything that you want to talk about Monster Kid Radio related or just classic monster movie related, call it in, write it in. Let me know. Hell, just send up a smoke signal and I'll try to read it. So in a couple of days, Alan's going to be back and we're going to talk about a specific Larry Buchanan film, talking about Zontar, The Thing from Venus. I'm looking forward to that because, again, it's John Agar. Yeah, there's that cue again. And, you know, it's a fun movie. I really found myself enjoying it. I don't want to spoil the episode that's coming up here in a couple of days, but I found myself really digging it. And I hope you guys and gals have dug having Alan on the show. And I hope you can come back here in a couple of days to hear part two of our conversation with Alan. I want to thank everybody for listening. And I want to thank the Mullet Monster Mafia for allowing us to play their music on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Swamp. That belongs to the band The Mullet Monster Mafia. It's from their album Power Surf Orchestra. You can find them at themulletmonstermafia.bandcamp.com or on Facebook. Look them up. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days. Mm-hmm.